You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Liv Constantine. Liv is the pen name of sisters Lynn and Valerie Constantine, who are Wall Street Journal and USA Today international best-selling authors with over 1 million copies sold worldwide. Their books have been praised by USA Today, The Sunday Times, The Washington Post, People Magazine, and Good Morning America, among others. They join me today to talk about their career and latest novel, The Senator's Wife. Welcome, Valerie and Lynn. Thank, Thank you. you. Good to be here. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love having you both here. And um, I, I'm going to ask you the, the question that I ask everybody as we begin these. And and uh, I'm going to shoot it to you, Lynn, first, for the, for the reason that you were the first person to join me today. Oh, okay. uh, where does your story as an author begin? Uh, it begins back in 2000 when Valerie, or even a little earlier than that, when Valerie and I collaborated on a book called Circle Dance, which like many first books was a big compilation of sort of our family about two Greek sisters and a family saga, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't start or, you know, as a young child, even though I was always a big reader and a storyteller. I mean, my favorite thing was to play with my dolls and make up all kinds of soap opera dramas with them. But in terms of an author, that was, that was the first thing. Um, that was the first book that sort of, you know, put pen to paper. Or, you know, yeah. Again, yeah. how about you, Valerie? Well, you know, so a, a, a sort of a similar trajectory. I I have to say that um, one of the most fun things for me too was when we were kids playing with dolls and making up stories. And in fact, I have a good friend of mine who I used to do that with most said to me, "You know, I should have known back then that you would be a writer because you would make up the most bizarre stories and all of these intricate little things going on between people." Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've always loved, loved writing and reading, and that was always my favorite subject in school. But I guess I just never thought that I, that could actually be a career, that that, you know, that was for other people, for these geniuses who could just write like that. And of course, there are those geniuses. I don't claim to be one of them. But even we who are, you know, sort of average and still be writers. Um, even if we're not Dickens or Shakespeare. Sure. And, and um, Valerie, when did you start writing in general? So it sounds like Lynn was, was back in 2000, but how about yourself? Probably the same time. I mean, I had 
written, I, I always wrote, but never anything to be published. Uh, so that was the first foray into the publication world and, you know, the, the world of uh, rejection. Trying to. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, there. rejection comes with the territory. You sure know? It, does. It, it does. But and I'm curious, Lynn, like, you know, what what was the was there in some kind of inciting incident that that got you interested in, in writing you know, back, you know, back then? Um, so I think it was the fact that Valerie, like Valerie, again, that was always a subject that I, that I excelled in. And we were reading a lot of family sagas at the time to get, you know, we would read my mother and my aunt and Valerie and I would often read the same book and then talk about it. And they were a lot, a lot of times different cultures and there was nothing about Greek families. And so, except for maybe Zorba the Greek, which wouldn't really like, you know, count as a family drama so much. And so that's when I just said to Valerie, why don't we write one? And I think it was partially a, a desire to leave a legacy for our children because neither of us are married to Greeks. And growing up with two Greek parents and who were very involved in the Greek community, there were a lot of things that we experienced that our kids were not going to experience, as well as knowing our grandmother, you know, was from Greece and sitting at the table, listening to her speak and her accent about old stories. So we wanted to we really wrote it. And some things that our children could look at it one day and say, oh, you know, this is sort of our culture and where we come from. And that was how. And then once we started, I think, you know, the writing bugs were bit and we just continued from there. Yeah. You, you live with the sting when that happens, right? Right. Um, how did you find working together on this, um, Valerie? Was it was it challenging? Was it a, was it a pure joy? Like, how would you characterize working with your sister on this? Better say it was pure joy. It was pure joy. <laughs> I mean, we all know that writing, but there are parts of it that are pure joy and parts of it that are just darn hard work. Uh, but I have to say that overall, writing together makes it easier work because there's somebody that you can talk to about the characters, about the plot, uh, and bounce ideas off of. And as we bounce ideas back and forth and more bubbles up, and comes to the surface. And um, and so I think that that enriches the story and enriches our characters. So all in all, if if I had to choose between writing by myself or collaborating, I would definitely choose collaborating. Now, that's not to say that I could collaborate with anybody, but um, we happen to be a very good combination and we do it well together. I mean, we enjoy it. Um, so, yeah. Pure joy would be more than the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> um, how did you divvy up responsibilities? Was it something where you know one person would take a chapter, another person would clean it up, and and would you trade off chapters like that, or how did you find a, a way of working together to to make it work? I mean, our process has evolved. So when we wrote our first book, you know, after that book, when we got as live, we'll say, which was later in. Um, 2014 or 15, when we started working together again. And so for The Last This is Parish, we split the characters primarily, although I I did still write many of the chapters in the vast part and, and vice versa. But for, you know, overall, but the way that book was structured, it sort of made sense. And then we realized with subsequent books where we were having alternating chapters as opposed to one whole section, you know, from one point of view that we both had to be completely invested in every single character and be able to write it that way. So we do, we, we speak in the morning and we, we decide who's going to, you know, who fills up writing, what scene, and then we go off separately and write 
and then we email and then we edit each other's chapters and we speak again every day and it kind of goes that way all the way through first draft. And we edit the book probably two or three times all the way through before we even hand it off to our, our publishing editor. So by that time, you, I mean, and it's track changes back and forth so we can see what we've done. It's not uncommon for there to be one sentence that's half mine and half Valerie's. So it really mm-hmm. does become, you know, a combination. And hopefully no one is able to distinguish between who wrote what. Yeah, because I, I imagine the trick is like keeping one consistent voice, you know, throughout, you know, unless you're taking different points of view. Right. But, um, you know, that's that's got to be a trick. But it sounds like you've worked out the system where there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of back and forth. Um, and, and I'd imagine by the time you've got that first draft to a, a point where it's going to your editor, that the editor, um, I wonder if the, it makes their job a little easier because it's it's been touched so often. Um, has your editor ever shared anything like that? Like it's it's a little bit more finished <laughs> or, or you're laughing. So maybe well, not. Well, we haven't. I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean. It's usually like for the, for the senator's wife, I will say when we handed that over, she did say it's very clean. That's, you know, and really, I, I, I remember her saying it would really be ready to go. But I mean, I, I always want to make it better. And she did. She made it that much better. So I, I think hopefully that's the case. Yeah. I mean, we've we've never had anybody say, you know, wow, what happened? This is pretty terrible. And go back and start over. <laughs> but there are always there are always good suggestions and edits. I mean, it never we never get something returned. With no red on it, yeah, we're not least child, right? Right, yes, yeah. Huh. But I yeah. mean, that's their job and that's their skill, and they do. Editors normally do improve what you've done. We have sort of a running joke because, and I don't do it anymore. But I used to say we wait for our edits, and I would say, you know, what? I don't think they're going to be like that extensive. And Valerie, they don't say that, and then of course they would be. So now we're we're getting ready to hand in our next book, and I said I'm not even going to guess. <laughs> what it's going to be like. We'll just wait and say. I said, good. That's yeah. it. <laughs> well, what can, uh, what can you share about the senator's wife? Uh, mm. Mm. Um, so the senator's wife, even though it sounds like it's a political thriller, it really is not. It's much more a domestic thriller, similar to our other um, stories. And it centers on Sloan. Well, really... Two women, Sloan and Athena, but Sloan is our protagonist, and she is remarried after a tragic loss of her husband, married to his former best friend, who also lost his wife in the same tragic accident. So um, when things, you know, begin off, she's sort of trying to balance starting her life again and being happy with her new husband. And she's been dealing with lupus for the past 20 years. So as a result, is having to have hip surgery to do a hip replacement. And so they, that's where the second woman comes in, Athena, uh, as her home health care worker. And instead of getting better, though, she begins, she goes into a lupus flare and she begins to get worse and have additional symptoms. And over time, she starts to worry that maybe it isn't the lupus making her sick, but maybe it's someone else. And so we're not sure if it's Athena. We're not sure, you know, there's some other characters in the book that you're wondering about. And then there are some other obviously twists and turns and some political undertones going on. So that's kind of the the setup for the book is can who can she trust? Is she can she can she trust her own mind? Or are there people in her life doing things that are making her, you know, sick? 
Mm, I'm not getting a good vibe about this Athena. I'm telling you that right now. I my my spidey sense is tingling, mm -hmm. and something tells right. me that she might be up to up to no good as I as I hit my microphone here. Uh, right, <laughs> might be right. Valerie, is there anything you would add to that? Um, I would say that probably Lynn went as far as she could without giving anything away. <laughs> no spoilers. There's right. some nice spicy characters in it. Uh, there's a lot of Washington high life, a uh, little dinner at the White House. And so um, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting look at Washington. And as Lynn said, it's not a political thriller, but there certainly is politics involved. Um, so it, it has a little bit of something for everybody. Sure. Right. I, 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 yeah, I imagine it's hard to set a, a novel in Washington featuring a senator and his wife without touching on politics at some point in time. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? Um, oh, I was going to say, you know, and I think it really has our favorite twist so far. So, you know. This is the one where 98% of the people have said to us, I didn't see that coming at all. You know, whereas, whereas the other books, even though we've loved the twist, some people have been able to figure it out. And, you know, so that's satisfying, too, when you're able to pull something off that really turns everything around. I've been able to do that once. Um, and I've tried to replicate that magic. And I think I've been trying too hard, honestly, to mm -hmm. to replicate that because... The first time I pulled it off well, I, I literally was watching a friend of mine get to the page and just throw the book across the room. Oh, wow. And said, I can't believe you did that. What book um, is that? I'm going to have to get that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not plugging my own book here. That would be no, better. But, no, oh, but you should okay. tell yeah, us. Tell us. Tell us which book it is. It's called Uncorking a Murder. Oh, um, writing that down. Yeah, me too. But um, but uh, but I but what's the secret to executing a great twist? I mean, so many of the people who listen to the show are authors themselves. Yeah. What do, if you had well, advice? If some somebody came up to you, like some MFA student came up to the great Liv Constantine, and said, "How do you execute such a good twist?" What would you tell them? Uh, well, um, well, I, I guess I would say it has to has to make sense. I mean, and again, we typically do start with a twist and then build around it, but not always. Um, and I mean, I'm not the one who came up with this, but what is that old, you know, the saying where it has to be completely unexpected, but yet um, make, um, totally conceivable or I'm, I'm getting it wrong. Um, but I would, yeah, I would say um, it has, it, and in that inevitable, like, inevitable. yeah, that you can go back and look at something and, and the seeds were there along the way. But I think what makes it the most satisfying, not something just outrageous that comes out of left field and you say, well, you know, how does that even make sense? But something that, that really hits somebody right square in the forehead and they're like, oh, I should have seen, how did I not see that? That's what makes a great twist. So I don't know what the magic, obviously, because we would love to replicate it every time as well. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I think, um, and some, and it's, it is helpful to Valerie's point, you know, we'll go back, back and forth and oftentimes we'll start here and then we'll can keep talking and maybe even joking. And then it ends up here and it's all of a sudden just the brainstorming process and the back and forth. I think that comes up with that. So do you have an, and you know, and, and I think the other thing about a twist is that a, a lot of it is perception and what you, how you, how you try to steer the reader into believing something that is not true. Gosh. Uh, and and see you, you know that they're they're thinking one thing and 
seeing it going off in this direction. And really you're going off over here. Um, and so at that, so that even makes the twist even more, uh, you know, that aha moment, like, wait a minute, I thought this was happening, but really this was happening. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So what, how, how, what the, what the reader is believing, you want the reader to believe something that isn't really true. Yeah, you have to be somewhat somewhat diabolical about it, you know, and right. it uh, and like planting planting some seeds, but not overselling them, um, right? And just not doing like the obvious, you know. Like I remember, yeah, I remember reading some things, and it's like, okay, well, that's just lazy, you know. Or like I remember, if if you remember, um, the show Dallas. I can't remember what season it was, but oh, yes. who was it when they they killed Bobby? And oh, then they brought him back because it was a dream sequence. Yeah, you know, that was they just like, I know yeah. that's just and terrible. The show, that was the end of the show, really. It's the end of his popularity. People were yeah. furious. Yeah. You know, better. It's lazy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they tried to, to replicate who shot JR a little too much. I don't know. But um, yeah, no, but I think like my favorite, if, if I think of the sixth sense, right? Like that, oh. that was just. Such an amazing, amazing, like, I can't imagine anybody saw that coming or if they did. And, so, I mean, that, that that was so well executed. Yeah. I mean, just from a writing perspective and just a directorial and acting perspective, mm -hmm. it's like, wow, that was, uh, that was great. And, and it, all, but that's, but it made perfect sense when you look, when you went back and looked. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. Or at least it made six cents. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But that's that's but the, you know I can look at that his body of work and it's like I think he's always chasing that you know it's like um, to some extent maybe that's true and not to no. I think it is I, we talk about that too like you know that it feels like certain writers are now you know they have one like huge breakout book and even if others do as well there's one that sort of you know maybe you only get one or two of those I don't know where that's that's yeah, the book yeah. and then you think of them and even if they've written ten more books. It's never quite the same, right? Magic as that. I don't know. Right. It's true. Yeah. Right. Fortunate, but it's well, we strive and hope that yeah, get there. Yeah. That very, very true. Um, so do you feel like you've done the Greek community uh a plus with um, you know, with with that first book you wrote? Think, and I don't know, I mean, Athena sounds like a Greek name to me. Um She is Greek. Greek. So yeah. Yeah, she is Greek. Oh, you have to be aware of Greeks bearing, bearing gifts. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I always like to uh, to wrap up with some fun questions. Um, and these are really just designed to get to know my guests a little bit more. And I'm going to pick on Valerie first on this uh -oh. one. Um, no, they, these are not hard. Uh, not yet, anyway. Uh, <laughs> did you have, um, growing up, did you have a favorite TV show? or Things that you'd like to watch on TV or movie? I, I love Lucy. And it's still my favorite TV show. It's a br I'm brilliant, comedically brilliant. brilliant. Yes, absolutely. You know the, the physical comedy, just the. Uh, <laughs> and if I have my, um, if I have my uh, facts correct, that was the first TV show to ever show a toilet. Really? Uh, yes, I love Lucy. That that is one of the useless facts I have. I wow. believe so. And and of course they had twin beds. They right. they didn't They'd they didn't do beds. the uh the full or, or king or wow. queen bed yet. No, they um, didn't. Because God forbid people thought that married couples shared right. a bed together. Well, uh, well, and I think it really was quite something that she was shown being pregnant. Oh yeah. That was a big deal then. Sure. Yeah. Sure. How about you, Lynn? Growing up, favorite TV show? Brady Bunch. <laughs> was was there one Brady, male or female? 
um, um, that you that I, you identified with more. Well, of course, I wanted to be like Marsha. I don't know if I identified with more. <laughs> that's who I wanted to be. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, and and that just seemed like the perfect family at the t- right. You know, here I mean. Fortunately, my, my our parents were together and we were all, but I was like, oh, no, that looks really fun. You know, they just divorced the, parents, brothers. Nobody, they never mentioned the, uh, the other parent. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. I always wanted to know, like, who, you know, Mr. Brady's ex was and who right, Mrs. Right. Brady's ex was. And no, no, there's, you know, they had Joe Namath and like, uh, you know, who, who's Davey the guy Jones. from the monkeys? Davy Jones on the show. <laughs> yeah. But you can't you can't bring in the the form, former you know mom and dad yeah exactly that would have been more interesting to me yeah. um all right the Brady bunch there you go there your sister never threw a football at your face did she Lynn no. okay <laughs> making sure uh, well, my brother would have I could see Michael now for sure yeah. yeah didn't you know want life to imitate art at all um no. uh, Lynn how about uh, music growing up would you like to listen to. Um, well, I like I love the Beatles all the time, and then gosh, Billy Joel probably um, loved all any anything sort of pop pop rock, I guess. Yeah. Did you ever get to see any of Billy's shows at the Garden and in, in his residency over the past few years? No, I did see him in Maryland, but I haven't been to a concert. I have to say, I'm not really a huge fan of big crowds, so I'm not mm-hmm. much of a concert person. Yeah. Fair enough. There you go. Uh, Valerie, how about you? Favorite music growing up? Music, of course, be- the Beatles. When I was in high school, the Beatles, you know, came shooting out. Um, I love ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. Oh, Jeff Lynn, he's fantastic. And Willie Nelson. I love Willie Nelson. Uh, very eclectic. Uh, very eclectic taste right there. Did you have a favorite era of the Beatles? Um, I don't know how, you know, I... I don't, I'm not sure that I know what years or eras or what, but I did love when they came out with a white album. I thought that was really, I mean, just all of their music was so innovative. It was, it was always different. And I yeah. think it's such an enormous talent that they had to just keep reinventing themselves with yeah. their music. Yeah, that totally. Uh, very, um, because you can listen to their stuff from the 60s and it's nothing like the 70s, but... But it's all fabulous. But it's all it's all fab, right? Yeah. All fab. Of course. Um, Valerie, how about uh, do you have a favorite place uh, you like to read? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, well, if I could do it, my favorite place to read would be on a beautiful veranda with it, looking at the ocean with a nice breeze and a palm tree waving. But that really isn't where I live, so. So I sit in my sunroom in a nice, comfortable chair, and that's right. That's my favorite place to read. All right. Lynn, how about you? Favorite place to read? The beach. And I, I mean, it's not a palm tree, you know, beach, but we're close to the beach on Long Island Sound. So as long as it's not too hot of a day, you have to take the, where I'll sit out on the patio with a book and read. Yeah. Lynn, uh, how about a favorite place to write? My office. So where I am now, I mean, I, I used to write before I had this, I would take my laptop and I would write, especially when my kids were younger and I would be driving around and I could write in a coffee shop or anywhere. But now I come up and, and in the morning, at eight o'clock, shut my door and, and just work. Very cool. Uh, and Valerie, do you have a fa- favorite place to write? You know, I do the same thing. I write at my desk. It's not really an office office that's closed off, but it's but I'm alone here. I never could write in coffee shops because they get way too distracted by people. 
and what they're saying and what they're doing or what they're wearing. So that I have to be alone to yeah. write. I would put AirPods in because, yes, people would, you know. Yeah. Right. And last but not least, I always call this the letter to me, your dear younger me question. So, Valerie, if you could give your your younger self some words of advice, what would you tell a younger Valerie? Oh, you know, I would say to just um, not be, to not let fear and fear of, you know, fear of failure or fear of not doing it perfectly stop you from what you want to do that, um, you know, it's. It isn't, you don't have to be perfect right out of the gate. Um, and so keep doing what your dream, keep, keep your dream going and, um, you know, be fearless. Be fearless. That's what Taylor Swift would say too, I think. Uh, how about you, Lynn? Any, any words of advice for your younger self? Yeah, similar. I would say find your passion. Don't, you know, don't just take a job because it pays well if it's not really what you want to do. I mean, obviously you have to, you can't sit around and not work, wait for something to happen. But um, I would say spend more time really figuring out what that is and do whatever you have to do to have enough energy to pursue that. So, you know, I mean, whether that means taking something less arduous as a job, if that's not your goal job, so that you then have the energy to pursue nights or weekends or whatever, so that you come to it sooner. Because I feel like I, I worked for a long time in the corporate world. And, you know, I was successful and it's not that I hated it, but I didn't love it. It wasn't my passions. And, you know, I, now I'm in a situation where oftentimes I look forward to Monday more than Friday. And I think that's a raw gift and that's what I would, yeah. Yeah. I I, I would like some of that special sauce. I'll tell you that much. Um, I have to ask, because both of you mentioned, you know, making up stories with the dolls uh, in your childhood. Do you remember some of the crazier stories that you came up with <laughs> with these with these mysterious dolls and were they voodoo dolls? I'm just curious. They were not. <laughs> I they they were. Um, well, I did play with Barbies too, but what I'm thinking of is I had these beautiful like, parents when they would travel. They would bring dolls home, and I did have this one doll who I don't know. It looked like she was pregnant, but I don't think she was supposed to be. But the way her stomach was, and she was the maid, and the husband got her pregnant, and the wife was all upset. You know, when oh, they were fighting and arguing, that that's the only one that stands out in my mind. Quite was, a standout. <laughs> was yeah. anyone named Athena? Were any of those called Athena? <laughs> no, okay. Just making sure. Like, Seeing how far well, back this goes. Valerie, uh, how about you? Oh, any... there, you know, there was always backstabbing and fighting and uh, infidelity and all of these things that you sort of look back and think, how did I know that at 10 years old or how, however old we were? But I guess maybe we were watching. Other stuff besides right, the right, right. That's right. You're right. watching, watching yeah. Dallas and Dynasty. Right. Exactly, right. And Dynasty. Falcon Crest. Yeah. I love Dynasty. Dynasty, Dynasty yeah. right? That was yeah. Linda Evans, right? Dynasty. Yeah. And yeah. Lake, Lake Carrington, uh, John Forsyth. Yeah. That's right. great. Yeah. Right. Well, there we go. We've taken a nice walk down memory lane here. So, yes. Um, I'm sure the senator's wife is available wherever books are sold, but you can tell me if I'm wrong about that. You're right. Jenny? All right. And I always like to plug your local independent bookshops. So if uh, if any listeners there are to want to find out what's going on with this Athena lady, um, <laughs> go to your local indie bookshop and, and pick up a copy. Or if you can't, bookshop.org is a good resource as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we've been talking to these sisters who make up uh, Liv Constantine, Lynn and Valerie Constantine. 
Do you have any social media or a website that you want to share with listeners so uh, they could uh, do some digging on you some more or follow you? Yes. Um, so our website is liveconstantine.com. And that has all our social media links, but we're on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, Twitter. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, and Live Constantine too is our Instagram and Twitter handle. But again, if you go to the website, you can find all of that. It'll all be there. And thank you for the reminder because I have not added threads yet to my list of uh, ways of getting in contact with people. So I have to do that because that yes. was like that's easy. Like, it's right. it'll just take all your Instagram, bring it right over. Oh. Not hard. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, <laughs> Lynn and Valerie, thank you both for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.